Next week, Lord willing, we'll get into uh, the latter part of Matthew 25 and look at the day of judgment. At least that's what I have planned as of now. But as we begin looking at Matthew chapter 25, we see two very familiar parables to us. Two that we've probably heard most of our lives for those of us that were raised in the church. And as we look at these two judgment parables, I put them together because they do have a common meaning. Uh, whenever we get to the end of this lesson, we'll, we'll kind of put, put all of this together. Uh, but they do have a common meaning, even though we don't usually use them in that way. By living life God's way, according to His Word, we are preparing ourselves for eternity. Those who do not live according to God's standards are also preparing themselves for eternity, whether they realize it or not. But most likely not the, er the eternity that they are expecting, if they are expecting an eternity at all. Preparing for eternity means making the right choices. In the preschool, when we talk about making the right choices, we talk about making green choices and red choices. And that can even apply to adulthood as well. But we have to make the right choices. For instance, choosing the right path. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. It's not only about choosing the right path, but also the right way. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We understand that it is only through Christ that one may enter into eternal life. It's only through Christ that we have rest as we looked at last weekend in the great invitation when Jesus says, Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest is only provided through Christ. And there are many other things that apply to Christianity that we find only by choosing Christ. But we must make the right choice as we look to our eternity. We have but one lesson objective for this morning. To learn how we can and should prepare for eternity. To learn what is the right choice and how to make the right choice when preparing for eternity. And before we get into anything else, we have to have that, that common thought in mind that there is an eternity. If we have no belief that there is an eternity, or especially an eternity with Christ, then, then we really have no hope. But as we look at this lesson for this morning... We are looking towards eternity, making sure that we have made the right choice and that we are prepared for judgment. 
As we begin Matthew 25, we begin with verse 1. Matthew 25 and verse 1. And if you're able to follow along with us, um, that would be good. Matthew 25, verse 1. Here we read the parable of the foolish virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, as we look at this parable, it's difficult to understand if we don't have a perspective of the customs as of this time and this writing. As we look at this wedding, of course, these things that are different than our own customs. But William Barclay, in a book called And Jesus Said, uh, in a chapter entitled And the Door Was Shut, explains that following the engagement of two individuals uh, arranged by their family was a betrothal period in which should something happen to the groom it, it was of such importance to them that the bride would be considered a widow. So even being betrothed to them uh, it was not quite marriage but it was in a sense, in a legal sense. When we look at, at Joseph and Mary when he learned that she was with child, he was going to put her away privately because they were betrothed to one another. Not quite married, but it was of such great importance that he would have to, to put her away to some degree. And even as we look at it from our perspective in America, we don't have arranged marriages typically. But this was the custom of that time. Uh, Many times there would be uh, a groom and a bride that were intended for one another even in their very young years of life. The betrothal period involved feasting and ceremony as the couple approached marriageable age. And so as we, we get to this point where they are in this betrothal period one year later, would be what we might refer to as the marriage proper. And this is what uh, Mr. Barclay had to say about that. Everyone joined in the festival 
and in the procession to the home of the newly newly married couple. Everyone, says the Jewish saying, from six to sixty will follow the marriage drum. Even the rabbis left the studies to which they were so devoted because marriage was something given by God. The couple did not go away but stayed at home for what what we would call their honeymoon. The week following the marriage was one continuous feast when the couple held court. They were actually called and were treated like king and queen. It was the opportunity to share in that week of glad festivity that the foolish virgins lost. So entering into this marriage celebration, that's where we are when we talk about these these virgins, the wise and the foolish. They are preparing to go into this celebration. And five of them had enough oil to be able to light their lamps so that they could could enter in. But five didn't have the appropriate amount. And there's debate as to whether they had not brought any oil at all or was this extra oil that we're talking about. It really doesn't make a difference to the parable. But there were five wise that had sufficient amount of oil and there were five foolish that did not. Quoted in this book that I mentioned earlier, Dr. J. Alexander Findlay describes a visit to Palestine. The parable of the bridesmaids begins with a picture which is stamped upon my memory. Because when we were approaching the gates of a Galilean town, I caught sight of ten maidens gaily clad and playing some kind of musical instrument as they danced along the road in front of our car. When I asked what they were doing, the dragoman told me that they were going to keep the bride company till her bridegroom arrived. I asked him if there was any chance of seeing the wedding, but he shook his head, saying in effect, it might be tonight or tomorrow night or in a fortnight's time. Nobody ever knows for certain. Then he went on to explain that one of the great things to do, if you could, at a middle-class wedding among townsfolk in Palestine was to catch the bridal party napping. So the bridegroom comes unexpectedly and sometimes in the middle of the night. It was true that he is required by public opinion to send a man along the street to shout, Behold, the bridegroom is coming! But that may happen at any time. So the bridal party have to be ready to go out into the street to meet him whenever he chooses to come. Other important points are that no one is allowed in the streets after dark without a lighted lamp. And also that when the bridegroom has once arrived and the door has been shut, latecomers to the ceremony are not admitted. As the bridegroom entered into the house, the door was closed behind him. And no one desiring to enter at that point is allowed to come inside. 
And as we've already noticed with the virgins, five, wanting to be sure they were able to enter into the wedding festivities, brought sufficient oil for the night. Five, however, were foolish and were not as well prepared for an extended delay. And these five foolish virgins, I know I've mentioned this in time past, it reminds me of school. Whenever you might have a buddy next to you, hey, can I borrow a pencil? Hey, can I borrow a piece of paper? And usually it's the same person. They, they really are never sufficiently prepared for class whenever that happens. And, and maybe that was kind of the case with these virgins. But they asked for a supply of oil from their friends. But their friends could not let them borrow without missing the festivities themselves having to buy more. And so they suggested to them, well, you need to go and buy some for yourself. And while they are, are buying, the door was closed. And they were not allowed entrance. We're reminded of, of something. This is really another lesson entirely. But some things just cannot be borrowed. There are many things that we might look at and in our spiritual existence that cannot be borrowed. Faith, salvation for instance, there are some things that just cannot be borrowed. The lamps were lighted when oil was supplied to a burning wick. If you ever had uh, one of those lamps, you ever go to Cracker Barrel, they have them at the tables. But those oil lamps, and they have a wick that, that that goes down into the oil. Now if the wick doesn't touch the oil, you can't light the lamp. It won't, it, it won't stay lit. Uh, I remember I, we actually had a few of these lamps. And, and so I, I put one in an office one time. I had a, it wasn't really an office, it was a closet. But my dad had put a desk in there. And my dad had since vacated the desk. And so I claimed it for a while. And so I'd go in there, I had a little setup, I had a little TV in there. Well, I put a lamp in there one time, one of those oil lamps. I thought it would be really cool to have there in this closet. There are no windows, there's nothing open. And, and I lit that lamp and, and uh, it smelled up the place, that's for sure. <laughs> but anyway, I have memories of those lamps and, and maybe you do too. And, I, and similar is applied here. Uh, but when the oil ran out, so did the lighting of the lamp. Uh, Barclay describes them as rags soaked in oil and the oil needed to be replenished. Um, but however we look at this, the oil was what kept the lamps burning. When the foolish virgins returned with their freshly purchased oil, the door was closed and could not be opened to them again. And so these five foolish virgins, they, they missed out on this wonderful wedding celebration because they were not prepared. But let's look at the, the next parable too. The parable of the talents is found in Matthew 25 and beginning with verse 14. Matthew 25 and verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. 
And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And notice that the wording of verses 21 and 23 are exactly the same. Verse 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming I would receive back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Though we associate talents with special abilities, that's how we use the word today, the talents of the parable are given of the Lord's money for which he returned at a later date to settle accounts with his servants that had been entrusted with his money. The talent, we often think of it as a coin and it's not really a coin but a measure of weight. But the parable itself, as we look at this uh, as a wise handling of money, it's very good for that. But it can also be applied to other things too, such as the special abilities that we mentioned a moment ago, or even opportunities. Are we using opportunities wisely? The talents can be likened to any of these without taking away from the meaning of the parable. The meaning is still that we are to be fruitful servants. The master knew his servants well. 
He knew them well. And he knew what they were capable of handling. He wasn't just randomly giving different amounts to different servants, but he did so based on their ability, what he knew their ability was. To one was given five talents, which he answered with five more collected in interest at the master's return. To another was given only two, to which he answered with two more in interest. And to another was given only one, to which he answered with just the one and no more. And even his talent was given to the one who had been responsible with the most, the ten talents. Now as we look at these different talents, one thing that I want you to realize and something that, that I find fascinating about this parable, you do not have to be the five-talent man. You don't have to have every ability, whether it comes to the church or in things of other matters, but you don't have to have a, a great deal of talents to be faithful. The master knew his servants. He knew what they were capable of and he gave to them responsibility based on what they were capable of. And even the one talent man would have been acceptable in the sight of his master had he done something with the talent he was entrusted with. It doesn't matter how many talents you have, whether it be five, whether it be two, whether it be one. What matters is that we are fruitful with the responsibilities, with the talents that we are given by God. He knows us and He is the, the great judge and, and we will be judged based not on each other's abilities. I'm not going to be based on, my judgment is not going to be based on Kirk's abilities, for instance. And Kurt's judgment is not going to be based on my abilities. But when God judges us, it's going to be based on what we are capable of. doesn't matter how many things we're capable of, but that we are fruitful with what He's entrusted us with. The reply to the wicked and lazy servant, as he is referred to here, was that he believed his Lord to be a hard man, and, and yet he did nothing to prove himself a worthy servant. That doesn't mean that the master was necessarily a hard man. At least I don't believe it to be the, the case. But he's basically using the, the words of the servant to prove a point. The Lord of the servants knew this one's abilities and gave him accordingly expecting him to be fruitful with what he had been given. And again, the master would have been pleased with him if he had done something with his talent. But because he didn't, because he was wicked and lazy, as the master put it, he was punished instead, cast into outer darkness. We might ask who is char characterized as the unprofitable servant. Some suggest the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus often spoke to as being wicked and lazy. They were unfruitful 
in what they had been entrusted with. They had the Word of God in front of them. They knew the Word of God. But their idea was to fence it in and, and to keep it confined. And, and when Jesus came and preached something different, they had Him put to death. And maybe that's one way to look at it. But as we look at this parable, I believe that it applies to all of us to some degree. All among us who have been chosen as Christians. The unprofitable servant wasn't unprofitable because he only had one talent, but because he did nothing with what he, with what he was given. And as Christians, if we are unfruitful, then we become the unprofitable servant. He who does not increase must also decrease. Well, look at Mark 4, verses 21 through 25. Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed. Nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The same principle is applied here just in a different context. God does not want extraordinary people that do extraordinary things as much as he wants ordinary people who do ordinary things extraordinarily well. God doesn't expect you to have the most abilities. But He expects you to be responsible with the abilities that you have. Now, as we put these two parables together, there is one common meaning that I wanted to, to bring to light. The foolish virgins were foolishly unprepared for the Master's return. And so was the unprofitable servant. We go back to our scripture reading. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. 
Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. The primary purpose of both of these parables is teaching the same thing. Both are teaching preparedness for the Master's coming. He will return. Of that we have no doubt. And Christians must have been found fruitful and faithful at His coming. One who is unprepared will unfortunately not hear the words, well done. One who is unprepared will not be allowed admittance to the wedding celebration of the Master and His Bride, the Church. One who is unprepared will one day find that they have in life only prepared themselves for eternal punishment, eternal fire, eternal destruction, and worst of all, as I think of the outer darkness that is mentioned in the parable of the talents, I think of what would cause that darkness. What we're talking about here in absence of God's presence. And in absence of God's presence, we think of absence of the light that is provided through Christ. Those things would cause a great darkness, but an eternal darkness, one of which no one ever escapes. Both parables teach us to be prepared for judgment. Are you prepared for judgment? Are you prepared for the return of the Master? How do we prepare ourselves for judgment? First of all, we prepare ourselves through obedience to the Gospel. The profitable servants were rewarded for doing with what they had been given responsibly. The virgins were allowed to enter into the wedding celebration because they had adequately prepared themselves with sufficient oil. And in both cases, there was something these had to do to make themselves prepared. In the parable of the talents, each of the servants had to be fruitful with what they had responsibility over. In the parable of the virgins, 
they had to adequately prepare themselves with enough oil to get them to the celebration, to get them into the door so that their lamps could be lighted in the darkness. They had responsibility. The servants made a choice of how to use their talents. The virgins made a choice of how to prepare themselves with oil. Some of them did as they should have done and some of them did not. And as we are given those choices, we have to choose to make ourselves right in the sight of God. We have to choose whether we are going to adequately obey the gospel, faith, repentance. And by the way, we can go through all of the steps of salvation and still not fully repent. But we must change our lives, our behavior, our direction. Confess our faith in Christ and be baptized for the remission of our sins. That's the way to salvation. But we choose that path. We choose whether or not to obey. But also in faithfulness to Christ. Because without continued faithfulness and fruitfulness, one will not be found so doing when his master returns and will be cast into the outer darkness. Again, absence from the light of God. In the weeping of gnashing of teeth, we, we have characterized here sorrow, pain, torment. can't imagine why anyone would choose that path intentionally. But maybe it is that they choose that path unintentionally. Not being aware of what is ahead. Or maybe not believing. But we must prepare ourselves for judgment. And so we offer you the invitation this morning. We never know the hearts of those that are gathered. And so maybe it is your need that you need to respond. Maybe you need to come in obedience. Maybe you need to come in repentance. Whatever your need may be, we give you the opportunity to respond. Let's together we stand as we sing.